Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. As ever, I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we've got a show so nice, they gave it three names. Sean Allen Krill joins Charlie Francis Murphy, uh, and we talk all about his amazing career and what it means to be a generous actor. Um, And as I record this, it is my birthday shout out to me aging and elizabeth and i are about to go on a hot date to see one of our mtca coaches in fat ham which i'm really excited for um but i also have to give a huge shout out and some love to our mtca class of 2023 on their amazing results you can check those all out on our website we had a ton of acceptances to huge schools and a lot of students with that most exciting of problems that they had a number of great options to turn down. That, of course, is always our goal. And just a, a huge extra benefit to this year that it was able to be completed without any large pandemic-related interruptions, for which I and all of us are eternally grateful. Um, but congrats, Class of 2023. I'm so proud of you all. I'll see many of you at our send-off webinar this Thursday in Class of 2024. Those current juniors, you're next now. You become our current class as of today. Are you ready to take the process on by storm? I certainly hope so. Let's kick this thing into gear. All right, no further ado necessary. Let's get to this episode with Sean Allen Krill. Well, we are so honored to be joined by Sean Allen Krill. Sean went to Wayne State University, where he was a Lily Tomlin scholarship for theater. We'll talk a little bit about his journey at Wayne State specifically. He's been on Broadway in Parade, where he's currently playing Governor Slayton. Um, Jagged Little Pill, where he was nominated for a 2020 Tony for playing Steve Healy. Uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, Mamma Mia. He did the national tour of Mamma Mia and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Tons of awesome regional theater, which we'll get into a bit if we have time. Um, he's been on TV and shows like Dope Sick, which is an excellent series. Everyone should watch. Elizabeth and I loved it. Dr. Death, Blue Bloods, many more. Um, he's going to be in the upcoming feature film Intermedium and an upcoming Netflix series called Gentry Chow versus the Underworld, where he's mm-hmm. going to be a cartoon, which is just <laughs> delightful. He's also a dear friend, and I'm honored to have him on. How are you doing, Sean? Welcome. I'm so honored to be on. I'm I'm doing great. How are you, Charlie? I'm doing wonderfully. We're we're off to a rollicking start. And I'm going to start you just how I ask everybody to start is if you can try to think back to 16, 17-year-old Sean, as you were beginning to contemplate this career, maybe you thought a little bit about it younger, and you're looking at college, what made you think, I'm looking for this kind of thing in a program? Were you thinking about directly artistic training? Were you thinking about school? What made you end up at Wayne State? Wow, it's a, it's a really interesting story, to me anyway. <laughs> and if it's not, we'll cut it. So that's fine. You know? <laughs> I really didn't know what I wanted to focus on. When I was in high school, I was very, very interested in, um, I was 
I thought most of my childhood that I was going to be a commercial artist. Uh-huh. That's really what I really thought. So when I was in high school, especially my senior year, I started really focusing on my art classes. I was always involved in the band. So I was very, very um, musically inclined. I played the trombone. Uh, I was very into, uh, you know, playing like in a symphony. I mm-hmm. thought that might be my job. And then I was also involved, had basically recently um, my junior year gotten involved in theater, which was sort of a new love of actually stepping on stage. So by the time I got to my senior year, which was when I was 17, I was 17 my senior year, I I knew that I was really driven by the, by the thought of being either an artist, a musician, or an actor. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't decide because... I was 17, you know, it's hard to decide. It's hard to choose your entire future when you're that young. And, uh, and also we didn't have a lot of money. So I, it it was uh, completely contingent on whether or not I could get scholarships Mm -hmm. to go to college. My family wasn't a big college family anyway. So you were not spending a hundred thousand dollars to go to NYU or whatever. No, no, no. Uh, in fact, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Uh-huh. And the only reason that happened is because in the middle of my senior year, my uh, the woman who was in charge of the drama department at my high school, Betty DeWolf. Shout out. Yes, love her. And uh, she found out that I, I, I actually didn't even take drama classes. I just mm-hmm. did the shows. Uh, but we became very close over the two or three years that I was doing her shows and she found out that I wasn't going to go to college. She literally dragged me by the ear Hmm. down to the counseling office and sat me down and said, talk to this person. Mm -hmm. They're going to help you uh, find a place to go to college. Mm -hmm. And, and they did. And um, uh, the first year of college, uh, what we found was Wayne State University. It was um, much more affordable than you know going to U of M or mm-hmm. or State, which were where a lot of my friends were going. And uh, the first year of college, I I studied all three. Mm-hmm. I actually I I just claimed a all three, not being musical theater. You're saying art. You studied visual art. You yes. studied music, and you studied mm-hmm. acting. Yeah, uh-huh. art, music, and and acting. Mm-hmm. I just uh, claimed a liberal arts major and, mm-hmm. and, uh, studied all three because I still couldn't decide. And it was the combination of, you know, Mrs. DeWolf and, and, and the counselor, uh, helping me decide to do that. You know, I think I was so daunted by the idea of choosing that I just went, Oh, well, I just won't go uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, and also because I came from a family that wasn't big on going. So, uh, that's so I'm, beautiful. You, you yeah. never know those little butterfly flaps, those little pushes that make someone go. And who knows what would have happened if you didn't go to college? You might still have ended up with an amazing career. But but just to go, my God, that little pull on the ear, that little nudge uh-huh. in the right direction ends Absolutely. up, you know, uh, potentially helping you you so much. But so then talk to me about the, so you left then Wayne State. So talk to me about the experience of of that, of of being there. And then you left to, to work, it seems like. And then- I- you ended up coming, not coming back to graduate. I did. I did. Yeah, that's the story. Uh, my senior year, I ended up leaving because I started to work uh, in professional shows. But, you know, to back up, I just 
have to say my time at Wayne State was absolutely invaluable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I cherish uh, my time there. I cherish the, the, the professors I was lucky enough to, to work with. Um, my acting teachers there were absolutely remarkable and taught me so much. I mean, especially now in retrospect, I can look back and realize, wow, I, mm-hmm. I, I just, they really just cracked me open and, and, and put me back together in such a, a beautiful way. I learned everything I, I, to this day that I use as a, as a performer, um, from, from those beautiful people, um, Dinah Lynch was was a, an acting teacher I had at at Wayne State that uh, to this day I I've always said I will credit Betty DeWolf and Dinah Lynch for mm. for getting me to where I am today. You know, I love it. Double shout out. Um, yes. Let's talk a little bit about the training in terms of because I feel I've heard you sort of claim imposter syndrome, even though oh, part of sure. us go, "All right, Sean, you have a gorgeous voice. What are you talking about?" <laughs> but you've done a lot of theater, and then but when you look at the Broadway, it's a lot of musical theater, right? You're and you know you sing beautifully. You sing. How did oh, did you. you feel like you got direct training? Was it something that you just sort of naturally always sang well? Was that about college, post-college? How have you maintained a musical theater career, you know, as a singer, um, without necessarily having as much direct MT-style training? Right. Well, that was that's that is where the imposter syndrome comes in, is because I I I didn't study. It it wasn't a voice program. It was mm-hmm. an acting program, and uh, they just happened to do a musical a year at Wayne State, and I come from a very musical family. We were always singing in the car. We were always singing around the campfire, all the, all the, all the times you sing. <laughs> just and, just uh, in the twenties. They're just taking uh, horse drawn carriages. They're singing around <laughs> campfire. I can't believe I said campfire. I was trying to think, <laughs> when did we ever have a campfire? No. I sung uh, while going to the outhouse. Right, yes, exactly. right, right. While walking to school uphill <laughs> both ways. Back. But yes, yeah, so you so you always always are singing, and and this is just a natural ability that you've been able to maintain. It seems like. Well, I learned most of what I know about singing from doing musical theater. I, uh-huh. I again, I was lucky enough in the early early years to work with some amazing musical directors, who were also kind enough to kind of, well, you know, also we, we you know, in college much younger people, and and I wasn't the only one. I mm-hmm. you know that that was in this program who wasn't focusing on musical theater. And yet there we all were in musicals. And so the musical Uh director would sort of not just musical direct, but also coach and Uh also sort of teach us vocal technique. And uh, I've just uh, been lucky enough over the years to, to continue to work and learn. I still learn about my voice and about singing every show I do. I'm learning more about my voice as I age uh, doing, doing parade. Uh-huh. You know, so it's uh, it's a it's a continual process that I hope will never stop. I'll and just... you think of it like a fine wine; it just with age gets better and better. Is that what happens to the voice as you age? I mean, I think so. I I feel like I've always hmm never really thought of it that way before. I I feel like I have always type wise kind of lived in an older man category. Uh-huh. Uh, even when I was young, even when I was in my twenties, people always kind of wanted me to be the dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just fell into, I was never basically, people weren't clamoring to cast me as an ingenue, uh-huh. you know? Um, and so I do feel like my voice, uh, 
also lives in that world. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to not sort of feel like, you know, there were the occasional shows in my twenties where people were like, Hey, this is a really great tenor role that just happens to um, uh-huh. be right for you typewise. And I would do my very, very best yep. to, to um, masquerade it out, as a but tenor. it's not yeah. really where my voice lives at all. Yep. You know? Well, and if something happens, I don't know if this was true for you, but also Sean, for those who are not watching the video is also a tall man um, as is your podcast host. And sometimes um, I feel like when your voice changes rapidly, it can take a while before you can really feel like you can reclaim for me, it was very difficult to reclaim the top half of my voice. It took me years after the voice change. It wasn't like, oh, six months and it, there we go. Like it was like a years long process. To, for sure, to for sure. Time. And I again, I learned a lot by by doing shows. I did a I did a production of Superstar in Chicago, and uh, that was basically when I remember. I think I was in my late twenties, playing Jesus, and mm-hmm. I. That was when I discovered falsetto and mix uh-huh. and all of that. I mean, up until that point, I really just it. thought of my voices. I had up until my top belt note yep. and then it ended. Yep. Yep. And as as I never really reach. realized there was this whole other world up there. Uh-huh. And and boy, there is. It's beautiful. I've heard that world and it's a beautiful world that John's got <laughs> going up there. Um, talk me through. I want to talk to a couple hubs in your career. So um, talk me to... Let's get to 2008 and that Broadway debut of Mamma Mia, which maybe doesn't seem like exactly what you'd expect to be cast in or whatever right out of school. But but t- what was that experience like? What you know, um, hitting the Broadway, and and then I want to talk a little bit about the journey back to Broadway, which seems like it, it, it took a little bit of time. Well, it's all it's all very complicated. I I had done two years of Mamma Mia on the road, mm-hmm. playing Sam Carmichael, and and uh, very unexpectedly, out of the blue, they called about two months after I had left the tour and just offered me Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the thing it was is that at the time, my partner Guy and I, my late partner Guy, um, had already decided to move to New York. Uh We lived in Chicago at the time. Uh, uh, We had already both been kind of being pulled to New York for Mm -hmm. various reasons. He had done the national tour of Sweet Charity and I had just done Millie and Mamma Mia and more and more shows were sort of asking us to come and, and sit down and live in New York. Mm-hmm. We did. And then, but that was before I knew about Mamma Mia on Broadway. And so it was a, it was just a, a gift from what the a universe blessing that, to move. that well, they handed me that. <laughs> that. That was one of the questions I had. So talk me through this Chicago actor life. Like were you, when you were in Chicago, were you Chicago only? Did, did you feel like you were kind of bi-coastal, like Chicago and New York? Or were you like, I'm here, I'm in Chicago. This is my, my home base if I'm not touring. I felt like it was my home base. I, I moved to Chicago. I, I, I went to Wayne State in Detroit and I moved to Chicago to open the Chicago company of a show called Forever Plaid, mm-hmm. uh, and which is a four-hander about a you know four-part harmony group in the fifties or late six, early sixties and, uh, um, big hit in the nineties. There were, there were companies all over the country. So they opened the Chicago company and I was cast in that. So I moved to Chicago. I did that for two years. That was my first Mm -hmm. professional gig for forever plaid. And after the two years I had met so many people and, and sort of become a part of in a very small way, become a part of the Chicago community. And so I just, stayed and started nurturing a career there and it really was invaluable because Chicago theater works very differently it's it's more based on uh, m- most of the theaters are subscription based so they will do four to five shows a year mm-hmm. 
three month ish runs. And what was lovely about that was that it was just, I mean, it was hard because you were constantly auditioning for the next thing. But what was great about it as an actor is that I was constantly playing something new. I was constantly re-challenging myself, a different kind of role. And then I started to, um, because I started with a musical, I was able to kind of get my foot in the door to straight theater in Chicago Mm -hmm. as well, which is what I felt trained to do anyway. Um, (laughs) excuse me. And, uh, so I was able to kind of foster a career where I was going back and forth from musicals to plays and also doing four or five shows if I was lucky a year and, and, and really building up a repertoire of, of diversity, I guess, just sort of teaching myself new things with each show, you know. As you say, that list of your uh, regional theater credits, I mean, a lot of in the Chicago area, it's amazing. There's so many shows. I mean, you see Shakespeare, you see musicals, you see, I mean, you've worked, every, you've worked everywhere. You've done all, all this different stuff. You know, it, it seems like that is the the MO often of a Chicago actor is that you really can be acting. You get to do a lot, you get to do a lot of work. Are you also then often working side jobs? Like I feel like sometimes the 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 rap on Chicago actors, they may not be as remunerative as a New York City, as a Broadway certainly, but but even, you know, depending on on what the the theater you're working at, obviously some of the Chicago theaters pay better than others. But were you at the time, you know, doing other paying the bills sort of things or were you mostly acting and being able to pay the bills that way? I was mostly act, acting. I was very fortunate. Um I have a vague memory early on in my time in Chicago. I temped for a couple weeks, and uh, but for the most part, I was able to to act and support myself being mm-hmm. an actor. Now, like you said, it isn't it isn't as uh, remunerative in Chicago. There is a little bit of a sort of uh, ceiling as far as how much you will ultimately earn as a mm-hmm. performer, but it is an it, it really is an acting based theater community and uh uh and i and i miss it i yep. i i loved it i and i i was there for about 15 years and like i said i just it it taught me so much uh yep. but there was a point where i you know i thought well you know if i want to really uh bring home some bacon i'm we're going to at least give new york a shot totally because okay. that's uh you know that's 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 the actor dream, right? Yep. New York or LA. Where and the bacon you... is. That's where all the yeah. bacon is in New York and Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, but it's something we talk a lot with our students, especially when we're maybe talking about with the school episodes when we're talking to faculty members of places, you know, if a place is based in Seattle, if a place is based in Pittsburgh and Atlanta, you know, that we go, there are other theater towns that aren't New York and LA where it can be helpful. You know, some people in Minnesota, they go, I'm going to spend a couple of years just getting some true professional credits if you haven't done that before, feeling what it feels like to work and then make the big move. If it Absolutely. It's so, it's so smart. I mean, I, because I was a young actor, you know, I, I I don't think I was necessarily thinking it through that way when I was in my early twenties. But I, I mean, when I look back on it, I thought, wow, it was really the best thing that could have happened because I don't know, I guess sometimes I feel, uh, uh, I don't feel bad necessarily for younger people in the business in New York, but I do wish for them that they had more of more of a chance to kind of step out of their comfort zones yes. more often yep. as I did when I was in my twenties, because I was constantly being asked to try new things and play new parts. And, uh, where now, of course the downfall to that is that there aren't, there are the long running shows in Chicago's are rare. Right. Um, and it, 
let's face it, getting a long running show is a really, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, an get, amazing thing. You got the day job. Are, now you get to sit, yeah, exactly, enjoy, rock, exactly. rock. Yeah. Uh, but as far as sort of really yeah. working on your craft, uh, the, you know, variety is the spice of life, right? Well, I mean, it's it, just. It seems like it successfully prepared you. I mean, something I was actually saying about, we'll get to Sean's partner made his Broadway debut in Parade, which is exciting. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that. Um, But it was the kind of thing I was saying about Harry. I was like, well, of course, like he was going to be prepared and appreciate the moment and know what it was having had all those other experiences, having had those regional theater experiences, where sometimes some of our students, I'll say, who do graduate immediately from school and go to Broadway, how can you appreciate what it is? How can you appreciate the difference of what that is versus, you know, having done some of these other jobs if you haven't worked your way up through that rank? So it seems like you came to New York and by the time you were there, you're like, I know what it is and what it isn't. I know what to appreciate about what these jobs are that you had that level of preparation. Sure. I mean, I think about it even, you know, I mean, I was 30... God, how old was I when I made my debut? I think I was 37. You know, even even that, I look back on it now, it was uh, 15 years ago now. Yeah. I, 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 I look at my 37-year-old self and think I didn't quite <laughs> fully appreciate what was right. happening to me. How, so I can right. only imagine, uh, but I can do the same thing to my, my 21-year-old self, my 20-year-old self when I got cast in Forever Plaid. I had no idea what was happening yeah. or how cool it was. Yeah. I just was kind of like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, God bless. That's what's wonderful about being that young. You know, yeah. you you are. You're so bendy. You can just sort of like fit into any anything in any any situation that, that, that you come upon. And that's wonderful. But, uh, yes, I do think that there is something truly um, – fantastic about about really being able to kind of look at through a sort of uh, a realm of experience look at what's happening and go mm-hmm. wow this this is truly an incredible moment in my life well and let's talk about so that next hub so now you're here you're in new york you've been given this gift of oh my gosh and i'm going to be on broadway as i'm moving to new york amazing but then there's a gap there's you know you're doing you stand by for tony danza and honeymoon in vegas amazing you stand by for handy Con- carrie johnny jr so you're you're working on broadway but it's going to be over a decade before you're now going to be able to play a principal role right as you do in jack a little pill so talk to me about the journey from mama mia to jack a little pill of like what the ups and downs of that career going I've, all right I've, I've worked in chicago now i've done this you know my broadway debut and just like what that life was leading up to the opportunity that is going to be jlp well a lot of that it's funny that you said the word gap because that's, that is in a way how I now looking back on that time, that is sort of how it felt. Uh, and ultimately what happened was uh, my partner guy got sick mm-hmm. uh, with colon cancer. And so we moved back to Chicago. Ultimately, once he, we realized he was not going to get better. We moved back to Chicago to be closer to his family um, toward the end of his life. And uh, luckily we still had the apartment that we had lived in for years in mm-hmm. Chicago. We had only sublet it. And, um, so the gap really was that sort of monumental mm-hmm. life altering thing happening to me and, you know, in my life, but happening to guy, but mm-hmm. happening to me as well. And, um, and then picking up the pieces and really, you know, deciding whether or not I was going to go back, come yeah. back to New York and, and get back on the horse or just stay in Chicago. And because both are, would, were viable, valid options at that point, mm-hmm. you know, I did do 
uh, several shows in Chicago before I came back to New York. Um, I was lucky enough that, you know, I had uh, the director, Tina Landau, um, amazing director, was dear, dear friends with Guy and also has become a dear friend of mine. And I've been lucky enough to work with her several times. Uh, my first show back after after Guy's death was a show with Tina. And I felt very mm -hmm. safe. Uh, to, it, was, it was Shakespeare. We did uh, Antony and Cleopatra, mm -hmm. which is much about grief. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and uh, she kind of came to me with the idea of, is this something you would like to do or not? And I said, I think that's the perfect thing to do with yeah. you and a show about this. Absolutely. So I was, I was fortunate enough that I had friends and, and friends that are like family in the business that were sort of nurturing me and, and nursing me back into working again. Yeah. And then ultimately, I just made the decision to come back. Um, and that was... When you look at what happens in the commercial theater, if you will, your trajectory in the business, I kind of had to start over, uh -huh. you know, right. I mean, not, not entirely, years. but I, you know, it was three years, uh -huh. two years later that I came back. And so I always think of that first gig was the standby for Harry Connick, mm -hmm. a great gig. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I was very proud to have that track in the show. It was important. Of and, um, but it was a really nice way to kind of step back into the world. And, uh -huh. uh, but, uh, but it took time, I think, for uh, to sort of get back on the track that I was on in 2008. Yes. To basically re introduce myself to New York. Yep. You know, to uh, reintroduce yourself to people. Right. I'm, I'm here, I'm back. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I also think, like, it's beautiful hearing you speak about this, and I heard you talk a little bit about it before, the, the like, the logistics of going through something like this, I think to most of our listeners are not actors. Most of, you know, if they're parent listeners or they're about to be actors, but they, they've not gone through life as an actor. And the idea of like going through that kind of moment while still like maintaining the hustle of acting, like it, it feels like, like if you had a normal person job, it'd be like, oh great, you're going to go take bereavement or you're going to go like, it, there's a structure for w which you can, that can sort of hold you and let that happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas it feels like as an artist, you have to create that structure for yourself, right? Like you, you're not, you don't have, you know, you're not taking leave from a job right. to go deal right. with this. Like, like what, what was, I guess, how do you navigate that balance of going, I'm dealing with this personal grief, but I also at some point have to pay the bills and I have a career that I got to pick back up. Like, I mean, obviously you mentioned that Tina was uh, instrumental in that, but like, how how are those two things being weighed or those multiple things being weighed as, as you're going through that? Well, I mean, you touched on it. You know, we you kind of get to create your own path anyway as an artist. It, it doesn't fit in the normal box of sort of this is my job and this mm -hmm. is, you know, and then I have, you know, Saturdays and Sundays off. And it, it just it doesn't it doesn't fit into the normal a normal structure. Mm -hmm. So you create your own and. uh and that ultimately worked in my favor uh, because often what you do, what what I've found that you you do as a performer is you work, you work, you work, you save, you save, you save, and mm -hmm. then when you're not working, you live on your savings. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically what I've done my entire career. I you just I I save 
while I am working so that I can live when I'm not and just audition and not make the money uh-huh. until I make the next paycheck. Which takes a kind of stoicism. You, you are living enough below your means today <laughs> of when you're making a good Broadway salary. Right, right. And I wasn't very good at it the, when I was younger, but I got better and better because I realized, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to run out again and uh-huh. I don't want to have to temp and I don't, you know, I, 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 so, so I've sort of figured it out and, uh, but yes, when something huge like that happens, um, I was fortunate that we had, uh, we were like, I, ha- like I said, I had just done a Broadway show for uh-huh. a year, so I had saved a lot. Uh-huh. Um, we, we were in the process of buying an apartment in New York. So we had, uh, you know, a huge, basically amount of money for a down payment already a anyway. down payment so, on a house in new york is like you know right. the largest amount of right. money you could possibly uh, imagine right. exactly <laughs> so it was enough for me to live on for a while uh-huh. you know to to so take you created own your own bereavement leave. leave yeah you yeah. know yep. and but then as an artist as a performer what i've realized over the years is that i mean with the with the help of friends and and friends that are in the business and therapy and a lot of a lot of self self love and introspection and uh, I realized that it's only going to help me to to get up, put one mm-hmm. foot in front of the other, and to use this life experience in what I do and to continue my story my life because mm-hmm. life is for the living and and if it's appropriate bring this life experience to whatever work i'm fortunate enough to do moving forward totally. you know um so talk to me about some of this now we get to the jagged moment which is when i'm going to be introduced to you um <laughs> uh, you get to now originate a principal principal role on broadway which i think is like most a- actors, that's like their dream. That's the thing you, you go, when yep. I talk to young actors, they go, that's what I want. I want to create an original role on Broadway. You know, Yeah, dream um, come true stuff. Absolutely. You get a Tony nomination. They get the Grammy win. Everything's happening, right? Um, and, you know, I think it to be a really, spe- this is really special artistic show for those who got a chance to see it. It really is a, a, a wonderful show. Is it odd that that is happening? You must be in your 70s by the time this is happening. I'm trying to do the math of like, you know, <laughs> this is very late in life by the time. But you know what I mean? To, to uh, Just to achieve that dream, which, you know, clearly is something you, you must have been high up on your list. But later in life, like, what, what is that experience now? You made your debut now 13 years ago or whatever it is, 12 years ago. And now, oh, my gosh, this is a new level, a new plateau, which it seems like, knock on wood, is continuing to build and grow upon itself um, in these future uh, jobs. But what, what was that experience of, oh, my gosh, I think I'm I think I'm stepping up. I think I'm hitting a, a new you know stride. Well, you know, I've had. I've had the same agents for many, many years now, and and. One of my agents said to me, you know, Sean, you've always been such a wonderfully capable performer. We've, uh, we've always been a huge fan of yours. Um, but there was something about, he said, but there's just something about what you're bringing to your work now that is just, it's really, mm-hmm. it's just really leveled up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have no explanation for that except just time and, and possibly, experience the experience that I just talked about bringing that to my work. Uh, there's also, I mean, there's nothing like that kind of loss to just thrust everything into perspective. I'm not, I'm not that scared of things anymore. I mean, I, I care a lot and I care about my work 
I care about art. I care about theater. But ultimately, there's a part of me that's like, it's just a play and no uh-huh. one's dying. Something released for you. That the, yeah. the the tension, the way you held it, maybe is not quite as as, right. as firmly gripped. Exactly. And so I just it it it's my job, and and it is the thing I care the most about. It is. Um, uh-huh. It's funny. I was I was thinking about it earlier when I knew I was going to be talking to you, and I was thinking about myself. And we often do this, right? We talk about ourselves as artists, and I do think I am an artist. But it's interesting. I feel more like. Um. <laughs> Like what I do, it like acting feels more so hands on. It's almost like I feel like a tradesman uh-huh. or something. Like totally. A, do you know what I mean? We, like we uh, always you talk about that in school the the blend of technician and artist. It's not one or the other. It's not you're not just an artist like throwing paint and seeing what happens, and you're not right. just a technician. It is a blending of the two. Absolutely. And so I just feel like I I don't know. I guess just with age and experience, I. I feel more brave, I guess, is the Uh simplest way of putting it. I'm just, I'm not afraid to just try things and fail. And because I've, because I've done that. Yep. And I've had actually the scariest thing that I ever imagined happening to me has happened. Uh Uh-huh. And so one bad one bad performance is not quite as scary anymore. You go, ah, all right, that wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it, and it hurts my heart a little bit. But yeah, it's yeah. you know, no, but like I said, nobody's dying. You know, it's yeah. it's. Uh, so yeah, I think that's. I, I think I answered your question. I feel like I completely tangented you away did. from your... I mean, it's certainly, I think, what m- many of us, if you got to see Sean in, in Jagged Little Pill, so we'll talk about his performance in the second half. I have uh, some secret compliments to give him in the second <laughs> half of the interview. Um, but one of the things I think about in that performance, I mean, he, he will break your heart singing Mary Jane at this moment when you think you've lost your partner, you know? And it's just yeah. like, for people who know you, you can't not watch that and think about you having had that experience. And it just... I'm so crying talking about it now, no, but, it's, but it, it moves. It's so moving for the audience. I mean, it, really it moved me every night. And that was one of those moments where I, where I knew that it was appropriate for me to bring my experience with guy into yep. it, you know, because there are a few people, I mean, thankfully there are a few people in the world that know what it's like to crawl into a hospital bed with someone that you love more than mm-hmm. anyone else in the world mm-hmm. and fear that they will, that you will lose them. Mm-hmm. And I, was like, wow, I, I actually, I'll never forget the first day we staged it with a hospital bed. I was like, wow, wow, wow. Okay. I need to, yeah. I need to pull myself together here. This is like, it was almost a moment where I needed to walk up to Diane and say, this is too much for me. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, this is like, I mean, talk about a trigger, you yep. know, like I was triggered, yep. but I am of the mindset that there are times where it's actually our job as actors to allow ourselves to be triggered yep. and to work through it yep. so that we can help the entire audience work through it. Yep. You know, we um, often talk about that with material of like, what is it to do stuff that you know about with a capital K that you know about? Like you can of course use the magic if, and like good actors can play lots of different stuff, stuff you haven't experienced too. But when you, when that lining up happens where there's like, oh, this person knows about loss. This person knows what unrequited love is. Whatever that thing is, when you hit that little vein, there is magic that happens when we go, oh, this is, this is specific and true for this person for in sure. a way that you feel as an audience. We go, that feels authentic. That's just right. a different thing. And yet I still get to feel like I'm acting, right? Because it's of course. because it's Elizabeth Stanley. And you are you acting, may have heard yeah. of her. Yeah, so I've heard of her well. Exactly. <laughs> it's and, Elizabeth and it's you and know, and it's MJ. I'd be in that hospital bed, Sean. Okay. I would. Yeah. Exactly. 
But well, let's bring us to this current moment. So you've met the Amer- amazing Harry Booby, and the two of you guys have have you know really connected both over losing your partners. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of a beautiful story. And now you're in a hit Broadway show together with amazing, incredible actors, and your husband is covering you, uh-huh. making his Broadway debut, which is uh-huh. also just amazing. So tell me, what is that experience? I almost can't imagine going through this level of an experience with someone you love deeply, deeply and watching that big of a moment in their life, sort of watching uh-huh. that be shepherded. I'm telling you, it was it was one of the happiest days of my life, watching Harry make his principal debut as Hugh Dorsey uh, just a couple weeks ago. I mean, it's been a wild journey, wonderful, like dream come true, bucket list. Uh, you know, I can't believe this is happening from from the beginning. Yeah. But but when it, it sort of culminated in him going on as Hugh Dorsey, Paul Alexander Nolan plays the role. Uh, Harry covers Paul and I and two other tracks in the show. And um, uh, uh, but Paul Alexander Nolan and I share a dressing room. So Harry not only went on and made a principal <laughs> debut, but Harry and I shared a dressing room. Oh my God. When Harry, I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, there have been so many times where it was just, and it's just absolutely impossible for us to not bring Scott and Guy. Uh-huh. Scott was T. Scott Cunningham, was Harry's partner who he lost in 2009 and so and that was actually harry and guy connected Mm -hmm. over that and then i met harry through guy excuse me so you know here we are flash forward 13 years later and we just listen if it was the two of us as a couple in a broadway show together that's enough to celebrate, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. is a huge win. It's it's amazing. The f- but we look at each other and we're like, we look look at what we've look at what we've done. Uh-huh. Look at what look at where we are. Look at where we thought we would never. I I just can't believe. And I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of us for yeah, you continuing guys team, too. Yeah. to move forward. We've helped each other through it. Yeah. In so many countless ways. And, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I, I think one of the happiest days of my life was watching him do that show that night, March 31st, Mm -hmm. 2023, watching him play Hugh Dorsey and then getting to walk up on stage and do a scene with him, watching him sing on Broadway. And I, Mm -hmm. I know how much that meant. I mean, he is a wildly accomplished actor. He's worked again, like, you know, like you said, he's done Shakespeare and, and farces and he's directed and he's Mm -hmm. worked in every theater across the whole country. And, um, he just, just, you know, to know that it was a sort of bucket list thing for him. And, uh, and most people don't get it. I mean, realistically, most very talented actors do not, especially if you're not specifically a musical theater person, you can be incredibly talented, incredibly accomplished. And most people don't end up actually making that Broadway debut, realistically. Right. It really is kind of a crapshoot. It's interesting how much once you start doing it, it's like, it's what you are able to do one. You're like, oh, wow. So New York, Broadway is really just like really, really fancy regional theater with Mm -hmm. a lot of money thrown at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it is just a region. Let's face it. You know, it just, it just happens to have this like crazy amount of tourism and people and, uh, and, and a lot of cameras and money pointed at it, you know, and, and, uh, so, but yes, it's, so it's just as random, like as randomly as I've, you know, I lived in Chicago for 15 years and I never worked at the Goodman theater. Right. 
That's a great example where people go, well, of course, that's where you're going to work. That's what you want to do. Go, yeah, yeah, sure. If I get the right show and if it hits and I'm sure you went in for stuff. Yeah. yeah. I worked at, ev- like, I feel like I worked at every other theater, but never the Goodman. You're at you know, Steppenwolf, you're whatever, but you're not hit. Yeah. Never, yep. never did the Christmas Carol. Every year they did it. Never did Christmas Carol. <laughs> you know, uh, you there's know, still time. You still got some Scrooge years <laughs> left in you. Sean. It could still happen. Oh my God. I would love to play Scrooge. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, yeah. What about, do you like doing press together? Like I, I read last night that People Magazine article, finally I've been waiting to read that and I went, oh my God, it's so cool that you guys got interviewed by People Magazine. Is that, is it weird? Like, I mean, I it can was, only imagine doing press with a list of things. It like, was really fun. I mean, we were, we, you know, we had a Zoom meeting with, with Michael Joya and, and he was just lovely and he actually pursued that article, which I just, we thought was really we meant so much to us that someone wanted to hear our story and, and um, yeah, it was great. I mean, Harry's, you know, he's my favorite person. I always Mm want to, I always want to be with him. So it's great that we get to go to work together and do press together. It's just, it's like a dream come true. Did you feel any like, because I feel like having been on the other side of it for Elizabeth, especially for those higher level press things, sometimes she wants to like break it down and be like, oh God, I don't know if I spoke too much. I don't know if whatever. Like, did you feel weird being like, oh, that was us together? <laughs> that Like we couldn't, oh. I, I couldn't be like, Harry, I actually wish you didn't take that question. I was going to take that question. Or <laughs> like, was there any of that? Or was it like, you know, it's no, all. No, I mean, we have a, you know, you have a shorthand, right? I mean, yeah. you just have a, you have a couple shorthand. And and I, I mean I think I mean, unless he would say yeah, something, we'll go ask Harry. Like Sean talked I, the entire time. Obviously, <laughs> that was the problem. You're like, no, I mean, Harry's me. so eloquent. He's so stage. well spoken, and 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 I I know there were times he just he he took the reins and it, and he said it perfectly. And there were times mm-hmm. where I said to Michael, I I have nothing to add to that. That was mm-hmm. that was exactly what I would have said. So that's mm-hmm. perfect. But has it ever come up? Because it's the first thing I asked Elizabeth when I was like, wait, Harry's covering Sean. Has it ever come up that you guys live together? And so that if you get sick, Harry's very likely to also get sick? Oh, for sure. Like, that is not very good planning on their end to be no, like, no, no. It's in not case the, it's Sean's not, It's not sick. the best planning, no. Um, but there is there there are two they're, – they're, they're working it out that there are two covers for every uh-huh. principal role, I think. Every role. There are a lot of roles in Parade, you know, and it's sure. really kind of a like a capital E ensemble show, right? So it's like everybody at some point, which is one of the things I love about it, is everybody steps forward and has their part in telling the story. And yep. uh, but yes, we have thought we were the first ones to think of it. Well, at least we thought we were. I'm sure we weren't actually. Uh, that you know, chances are, if I get sick, Harry will too, vice versa. And actually, the thing is, is it's already happened. I got a cold. Uh-huh. Thank God it wasn't COVID. But I got a cold the week after we opened. Uh-huh. And I knew, just because I know Harry, that he really w- had been focusing on Dorsey because his his time was coming up he, he for us to play on. Dorsey. Yeah. And uh, I knew that he wasn't quite ready to step in as Slayton. So I powered through that week. Uh-huh. I probably would have anyway. But um, he didn't get sick. Uh-huh. So, you know, it it you isn't know. it isn't necessarily, so, you know, a given. But you are committing to not taking any couples vacations together during this Yeah, time. I don't think you that's you're not going to get approved vacation days together. Right? <laughs> uh, All right. By the way, I'll just say Sean is fantastic in Parade. I mean, truly like a, a, an incredible you're incredible on that show. I mean, it was Thanks, Charlie. so moving and you you hold the story so beautifully. And it seems like oh, he's mostly going to be like uh, helping us sort of storytelling wise and then also move us so much. It's a it's a really beautiful moment that you get in terms of you know your conscience and you sort of form the conscience of the show at one point it's really it's beautiful. thanks I, I i appreciate that very much i i really love this i 
this this show snuck up on me and this role this man you know who was a real person and uh it that that is something i haven't done a lot is actually play someone who was historically you know totally, yeah. an actual person and uh, i uh and he was a really good man and and even less conflicted as he's presented in parade uh-huh. from the beginning he was like oh this i mean he didn't come into the story until literally the once leo frank was already in, incarcerated uh-huh. and and um then he had the governor's privilege of actually you know preventing the execution mm-hmm. uh he never hesitated Mm-hmm. There was no hesitation on his part. He was like, this was clearly a mistrial. Therefore, there is an innocent man that could be killed. Therefore, my my job is to save this man's life, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the consequences. Yep. And um, and the consequences were even, you know, much more devastating than is presented in the play. I mean, they were chased out of Georgia, a, a mob of... Not just career-based, but also potentially dangerous. Yeah, 2,000 people stormed yep. the governor's mansion and they... You know, they they feared for their lives. They left for ten years, and um, and he never worked again as a politician. We see some small examples today of maybe you know uh, whether it's maybe surrounding our election. We see some few examples of kind of bravery of going. I'm going to do the right thing, even if it's politically not viable. But I cannot imagine people standing up to a mob. Um, you I know, know, and you, that, I know, and I. That's why I, I'm so grateful and honored to play him because I think we we need more people who are willing to to stand up to yeah. the states people to the angry misinformed mob <laughs> okay we are going to take a short break because i have more compliments to give to sean on the back end so we're gonna take a short break and then more compliments will ensue all right we are back with sean allen krill and the deep dive theme i want to do today is one on generosity um We've talked before about collaboration on the pod and what it is to work in conjunction with other artists, you know, composers with singers and actors and directors, et cetera. But I want to zero in a little bit on the actor to actor relationship. And first off, I'm going to make you endure a bit of a compliment. I promised it. It's happening. It's going to be uncomfortable. Sean's going to begin sweating as I say this. But you're someone who I often think of as like a sterling example of one of my favorite things an actor can do for another actor, which is to share the stage generously with their fellow actors. It doesn't always show up in the reviews or garner standing ovations. It just makes the show 1% better each time an actor makes that choice. And in my mind, this is not a binary of like, yes, this is a generous actor or no, they're a diva. But it's like this tricky balance in serving the needs of the play in conjunction with another artist and the ability to put the needs of the company over one's own ego. To not defer when it's your moment to step into the center stage, but to live honestly and joyfully in the flow of what the present moment needs. So... Compliment and rant nearly being over, I guess I would just ask, is that kind of generosity something that you have consciously thought of cultivating as an artist? Because in real life, you're nothing like this. You're incredibly, you're a nightmare is what I mean. So I'm just, this <laughs> must be something that you've done on stage. No, but is that something you've thought about in your career that you've said, I want to be that kind of artist? I'm modeling myself after artists who've done that? Wow. Okay. First of all, what an amazing compliment! I I can't. Truth is, true. I'm I'm bright red. Uh, uh, <laughs> I um, for those not watching the video, this is true. Sean is actually bright red. I can't. I can't uh, my ruddy Scottish skin is <laughs> is yes is I'm it's showing. I I I don't know that I could imagine a higher compliment, Charlie. Thank you for saying that. I it is something that I work on. 
I really, it means a lot to me. And I feel especially, first of all, it's easy when you work with someone like Elizabeth, who sure. is- And she's is, the same about you. Yeah. She's, she's the same way. She, there she is playing MJ in Jagged Little Pill. And I felt completely um, like it was, you know, like we're tossing the ball back and forth uh -huh. when, when, whenever necessary. And um, I hope, and I always hope that a scene partner understands that I am only there, especially when, I don't know, I have such a director brain that I always feel uh -huh. like I look at the show and I, and I'm always thinking, what is, what is the, what is the scene for? What's the purpose of this scene? What, what is the purpose of this word? What's the purpose of this line? What's the purpose of this moment in the play? What does it serve? Who needs to be served? What character development could happen in this one tiny oomph of a moment that I might be able to help, you know, sort of tell to a, a giant room of people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess that's when I, like, I, I'm going to go back to sort of feeling like a tradesman. I always, uh -huh. I always feel like there's something I can do with my body, with my position, with this other person on stage to help tell this a little bit more clearly. Uh -huh. And, and if that translates as generous, then that's, that's, that's lovely because I, I, I certainly feel that way in my heart. I never want to be a selfish performer. I don't myself enjoy watching, um, uh, what can feel like a selfish performance. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the spectacle of something can be very, uh, entertaining and, mm -hmm. and impressive, but ultimately I, I feel a little empty after, yeah. um, if it feels, uh, if it feels ungenerous. I love it. And, well, and, and I, I love to talk a little bit about that balance of the director. We've had that, that concept come up before in the show of like, cause I feel like that is exactly the danger of being really good at this likely means some part of you is directing, right? Is like, is just going, what does the show need? I'm, you have that outside awareness of the greater play, not just your role in the play. How do you find that balance for yourself? Cause obviously you can't fully live outside your body and just be like, what's everybody right. else doing? Like you have to be. Well, in I, your and I always feel a need to check in with a director because I, because I, I need to know, and sometimes it's very difficult to understand what what a moment, how a moment is reading uh -huh. when you're in it as the yeah. actor. Um, I have to be very careful with my director brain because it isn't always appropriate to have the director brain just play your part, yep. you know, just play your part well and stop worrying about the you know the whole picture. But right. I do think that it's a fine line because I I I, I think it is important to know exactly what the purpose yes. of your role is in, in what, what is your puzzle piece? Yes. Mean, what does it mean to the entire yeah. puzzle? What story yeah. are we telling? And, and, and if you have no ability to do that, then we know just on a granular level, the director does not have time to find every single moment and go, sure. okay, that's not telling that story. Okay. That's all becoming about that. Like you have to be able right. to, when you know what the story is about here right. to be able to go, well, I can kind of self-regulate at least enough to make these adjustments myself as, right. as we try it. Right. Well, like for example, a really good example of this, exactly what you're talking about, Charlie is, uh, I, I think is parade. Uh, you know, I had to really, because to me, I go into playing Slayton and I think this is a really good man. Like from the beginning, this man is a very good man. It took me a while to understand why or, or how the audience was reading him as uh -huh. told through Alfred Urey's book and Jason's music, 
how he's how he is reading uh in the glimpses you get of him in act one yep it took me a while to understand and i had to really think like oh all they see is a man stand up and say you know the south has never been defeated yep and then he comes on and says a little girl's been murdered and you need to take care of this very quickly oh we've got two suspects good convict one of them right now he doesn't mean like whoever them wrongly yeah Yeah. no he means like get it over with this is a horrible thing you need to do this is your priority yep but i understand now after because of speaking with the director and understanding how it all fits into the piece that that reads in a very different way Mm -hmm. to the audience and uh and it's it's one of the things that's actually delicious about playing the part is that you you then have the chance as an as an actor Mm -hmm. to surprise the audience and flip it on them in in the second act so true and and being aware having some awareness that this story is essentially about leo and lucille those are the people we're following the story most and so how does my character serve them of course but then also the moments that you do, we mentioned in the first half, the moments that you step up and say, but this actually moment is going to be about Governor Slayton right now. This this is a moment where the play centers around the conscience of this man and how do we react to these situations. Right. And as an audience, we fully empathize with you at the, for, in that moment. We're not thinking about Lucille and Liam. But right. finding when, when it is give and take in that way. When it's about Lucille right. approaching you versus when it's about you. Oh, for the most part, I would say 90, 99% of the time it is about serving Leo and Lucille and their story. But yes, there is a moment where, and I've thought a lot about this as well, there's a moment where um, I do think it's important to understand what is happening for Slayton and Sally. Yep. Uh, because <laughs> the way I interpret it is there, people often leave parade and they're like, there's hope in there. There's hope in this show that just breaks your heart. But also you do leave, even as dark as the story is, you do leave with a sense of some kind of hope and uh, people often can't put their finger on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at it, I analyze it, and I think, oh, Slayton is a big part of that. Of course. Slayton is a big part of the hope because there was a man that not only, like, it's not this fictional creature they created. There was a man in 1912 that was a Southern-born, bred, Southern gentleman. You know, he's like on his porch eating, you know, drinking mint juleps. And he was a good man that was like this man. I don't care what he looks like, what his skin color is. I don't give any, I don't give a crap about any of that. He's innocent. We mm-hmm. will not kill him. Yep. That is wrong. That is morally, ethically wrong. And he never hesitated to just blow his whole life up for it. And I just like, there's hope in that. There's hope for us. At, be, there's so much in, this, in the play that we can relate to, you know, all of the media sensationalism and, and the, unfortunately, the anti-Semitism mm-hmm. relate to it all. It's all still happening, unfortunately. But, um, you know, there's also... Um, there are also people that stand up and do the right thing. Yeah. And you hope and I'm proud to be a part of that. And I think yeah. it's really important to know that there are moments where you need to shine a light on that because that's what gives the audience this sort of yeah. underlying sense of hope in it all. It is the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice or whatever. You, you hope that you go, well, will that continue to happen? There have been moments, even as, as messy as it's been, where it is bent and we're in a better place today than we were 100 years ago. And 
we hope that continues. Um, but I'd love to talk from an actor perspective. So I think some of the stuff is a little easier now with this established career, and this is now your fourth, broad, fifth Broadway show, and you know these. So it's like a little easier to find. I think that generosity, knowing I have that that comfort of I. This is not the only moment of my career that's going to potentially turn on a good review or a bad review or that kind of thing. How do you, if you did early in your life as a young artist, how do you cultivate that? you know, that generosity when you go, this is maybe my first big break and I really want to seize the stage and have the moment, have them say, you know who was great? Sean Allen Grill. Not, <laughs> not like, that show was really good. But some part of you, of course, is going, I want them to think Charlie Murphy was great in that show. Of like, course. How do, you, how do you find that, that balance as a young artist when you go, I want to be this kind of person, but also I want to be successful in my career? Well, I think there's always a way I mean, I, I do think it's very important to know, again, know your puzzle piece. What is your puzzle piece? How do you fit in this? But, you know, there's there's also a way you can you can just be a very good, generous scene partner. And people do pick up on it. And people pick up on the fact that you are being a generous, reactive scene mm -hmm. partner. There are, I think there are always ways of, of, sort of doing both giving throwing the ball to the other person mm -hmm. and also being a really good uh something for for the lead if you are if you're in the scene with mm -hmm. a lead to bounce off of to bounce sure. their their troubles and their their conflicts off of to keep your sports analogy we, i love that you're talking about the ball we, we often talk about that you have to be able to move the ball but then you have to be able to shoot when you're open it's like it's actually right. hurts the other the, the lead if you're like no no you take it again it's like no no this is actually my moment right the best thing right now in the play for the sake of the play is for me to shoot this shot to go for it right to not to yes. shrink away from the moment either right it's just right. not shooting shots that aren't necessarily yours to shoot or you right know. right yeah. you don't want to steal it yet so the thing is you don't want to steal it but there are just tiny ways that I've learned over the years of like, you know, if I'm an, if I'm a listener, like I had to do the winner takes it all right. in in, in Mamma Mia, for example, mm -hmm. it's an entire song, a monologue basically sung to Sam, but the song is really about their relationship mm -hmm. and her, her take on the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it is about Sam too, mm -hmm. but it's her point of view. So I always thought, well, you know, it doesn't just need to be Sam with his back to the audience for the entire song. Every now and then it isn't uh -huh. inappropriate for him to find a, a reason to turn out and show the audience how it's affecting him. Uh -huh. Because then the audience isn't just listening to someone do these crazy pyrotechnical, you know, notes mm -hmm. or, or just watching her journey because it's more moving if you, if it's actually uh, the journey of this couple. Yep. And, but I know, I know that it is mostly about Donna's journey uh -huh. and I totally get that. So it was always a, a fine line of like, what is my job? Like how, what's the percentage of what I can add to this without feeling like I'm, you know, upstaging. Uh-huh. You mentioned working with someone like Elizabeth, who's, you know, I think is also very generous and will be, give generosity back. Do you find in general, when you come from that place of, I'm going to be really generous, I'm going to give this back to you, I'm going to toss that ball back right there. Do you feel like it normally breeds more generosity or do you feel like sometimes you get taken advantage of because you're like, this guy's going to serve me all day and I'm going to keep taking my shots. Like, do you, do you ever have that experience where you go, I'm, I feel like I'm just giving, giving and you're just taking and taking? I, it's very rare. I mean, there are occasionally, I think there are, I have occasionally 
but rarely over the years run into another performer or a director that doesn't quite understand that I'm sort of building up to something and, uh-huh. uh, and that well, give I, it back. Uh, give it back. that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, um, I'm not a doormat. I'm just, a, I'm just playing uh-huh. with what my, what my job is in the scene. And, uh, um, it, it has been very rare that I felt like it wasn't uh, appreciated or, or uh-huh. reciprocated for sure. What, what do you do? Like, what, how do you like, maybe especially for a young actor, let's imagine, you know, this is not at a Broadway level, which most of our actors right now are, are working. At. If you encounter an actor who is being ungenerous, who's not, maybe it's not even, we use the word generous, you know, to maybe mean the opposite of, of selfish or sort of scene stealing. If you want to you think of it that way, like, it, often it may be unconscious that they're they're saying, I For don't sure. even realize I'm taking all these moments. I don't even realize I'm not tossing the ball back to it's you. It's a very but, natural instinct, right? But what very do you do? So how do you deal instinct. with how do you deal with someone if you see how you're dealing with a scene partner and they're and you feel like they're being selfish and you're like, okay, I'm tossing it to you. I need it, I need it back. I need you to support my moment too. Well, I, I learned uh, one of the things I learned uh early on was you can't control the other actor. There's that's it and it's and it's fruitless and and really inappropriate, actually, to even if you even if you're right, even uh-huh. if the other actor is playing the scene wrong, if you will, uh-huh. it is not your job as the other actor in the scene to tell them what to do. Yep, it's it's just not. And your it's a big job, Lebowski is, quote: "You might be right, but you're still an asshole." You know, yeah. it's like even if you're right, it's not it's wrong. So your job is to take what you're getting and react to it. Mm-hmm. So, and it just may very well crack you open as well and teach you new things about the scene that you would have uh-huh. never thought about. And, you know, there are just, again, it's the same trick. Like if there's a, a younger, I mean, it ha- does usually happen with younger performers, the a very natural instinct to move up stage in a, in a two person scene to move up stage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you end up with your back to the audience, <clears throat> you know, the easiest trick in the world is just to find some deep, dark reason to turn out and mm-hmm. then speak over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, and, and then there are times literally where you go, Oh, well that, that has taught me something about this character with this person playing that character that so, I would turn away from them and talk to them this way is, is a, I don't know. It's an interesting color to it. And, uh, you know, I don't always love it. Don't get me wrong, but, um, again, it's not, it's not for me to say. So, so well said. And, and and just spending more of your energy living in the, what can I learn about this? As opposed to being, I know I'm right. I know. Cause that, that's our default. If you go, I, I know this person's being selfish. I know they're, this is, there's, there is not correct for this moment, but if you can live in there and go, it's not, not correct. It's what's happening. What right. can I learn about this experience? You know, right. um, that's a, a great place. Yeah, to for sure. How do you feel like this relates to, cause something I, I also think that it could have been your other compliment. Um, if I was going to give you two is, you know, I think you're such an empathetic person. Um, and I think you're really incredibly empathetic in terms of, uh, um, you know, as a human being in general, but also in playing these potentially unsympathetic characters, like that dope sick farmer rep. I thought you played. So I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I kind of liked this guy who's not very sympathetic as a <laughs> oh, character. Bless you. Um, Again, you know, Steve- another example of like, you know, I didn't know very much when I shot that scene. It, it's so much of your of your uh, perception of that man is because of what you know as you know it's it's the uh, the sort of dramatic irony of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know how it all turned out because it you know it's right. a flashback to how it all began. Yep. You know it's a lie what he's saying. You know how devious it is mm-hmm. and how destructive it is. But I actually played it because I shot basically in a bubble. I didn't really I didn't really know. Uh-huh. So you um, just played it truthfully. Like, I'm I chose really that good he, at my job. I chose that he 
100% believed what he was saying because uh-huh. I believe that there were people in that that company, especially the sales department, who had yeah. no idea it was a lie. Yeah. So, but you're watching it from outside and from the future and you're going, oh my God, Ooh, this guy's such a jerk. He's a slimy <laughs> jerk, you yeah. know? And it was so fascinating. That was really like 99% of the time, the reaction to that. And I, I just found that. It's too funny. But is that a conscious practice? Like, do you feel like you are, like you you approach a character and say, it is my job to always empathize with them and always say, Hey, you're the, you're the hero of the story. Or, you know, we talk about like Steve Healy with some, some of that, the sort of toxicity of his masculinity that, you know, was in the story and that, but that, you know, this was played, I think very lovingly. Like, I think we, we, we didn't think, Oh God, this guy's a jerk or this guy, you know, even if there were some qualities we wouldn't have loved. Like, is that something that you find you have to consciously practice or you're just like, that's natural to me as an actor. I always am going to empathize with my character. Well, I, 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 I've learned about myself that I have an innate sense. I, I do think that in theater, especially I have an innate sense of, um, sort of sweetness that people pick up mm-hmm. on. I don't know what other word to use. That yeah. sounded Puppy really dog sweetness. I, I believe it yeah. sounded. Really, yeah. I'm so sweet. I'm you just guys. like sweet. Like candy. But you know what I mean? Like, I think that people, I think part of our job is to know how we read as yes. performers and I've learned over the years that I know I know what I look like. I look I, I understand that I look like a certain kind of man. Yep. But there's also something about me that people sort of usually end up going, "Oh, he's a good guy." Uh huh. And so with someone like Steve, who was a very different person than I am, I felt like I needed to lean into his rough edges and uh-huh. his toxicity and and the masculinity of that man who was uh-huh. maybe a little bit more oblivious to right. his actions as, as Sean is. Yeah. Yeah, and uh and and that was really my challenge with that was sort of laying that in because a lot of it happened before the play started. Yep. Steve starts changing basically from the first moment you see him yep. because MJ has changed. Yep. So it was, it was like, I needed to lay in a, a, a past with these two people that was based on a kind of archetypal man, woman thing, yep. you know? And, um, and then the first day of the play that you watch is that cracking open. Um, it's so, so interesting, you know, they often talk about like so much of a director's job is casting. And I do think that's where it's like they really set themselves up well by casting you in that role. And it's not obvious reading the script that you would be casting Sean Allen Krill. To, to <laughs> me, like there's definitely a version of like a pretty bro Oh, totally. Steve, you know, where I, I go, it, it, having, when I went back and read the script, I'd already seen you do it. And was, of course, there's no one but Sean for the role. And then you read it and you go, oh, I could have seen this cast very differently. That, that, yeah. I'm sure they saw some people who were much broier, well, but I made the see, choice. And I could see you carrying the broy thing further into the story too. But, uh, but there's so much, uh, it's sort of immediate, like what's going on with you? Uh huh. You know, uh, that, that, um, if you look back on the first couple scenes, I think the, bro- the you know, this sort of like toxic masculinity stuff yep. is there. Yeah. Yep. It's just, uh, yeah, it reads well, differently on different people. It reads differently. And, and a credit to the play. One thing I think is really wonderful about um, the the script of Jagged is that everybody has a, a bit of redemptive arc in that, that. That it's not like these are the good characters, the bad characters. Sure. That you find the redemption in, in all of the sprints. Right, right. Um, are we ready to play 
our very special game. Sean, yes, this is going to be a difficult game, I'm going to be honest. Okay. Um, sometimes they're silly. Sometimes they're they're challenging. I mix it up a little bit. This game is called Governor or Governor. All right. So I'm going to read you some quotes okay. and you're going to have to tell me if they're a real politician, normally a governor or a fictional one, which is a governor. You know? okay. Um, okay. Simple to learn, impossible to master. I'm going to read you a quote. You're going to send me it's real or fake governor or governor. Got it? Okay. Wait, Here we are, go. The quote, are the fake quotes actually f- from fiction or? Real or- quotes by fictional people. Okay. Okay. Yes. If that makes sense. And a little bit of a mix of both. Some of them are just impossible to answer. So you'll do your best. <laughs> the first quote, fear is a powerful weapon. It can excite and motivate and can get people to yell and scream. But fear has never created a job. Governor. That's a governor. That's Governor Andrew Cuomo. One for one. You're doing great. Okay. Sean. There's nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Hmm. I'm going to say governor again. That's governor. That's Governor Bill Clinton. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I, as president of the United States, have actually achieved something, which is virtually unheard of. Governor. That's governor. That's right. <laughs> well done. That's Julie <laughs> Louis-Dreyfus from Veep. Well done. You're doing okay. fantastic. All right. All right. Three for three. Okay. All right. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful individuals can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. Governor. No, that's Governor. That's Governor Josiah Bartlett from uh, the West Wing. Anytime in a game, I can. Oh. I try to sneak in some West Wing. Always. It's always. Oh, I love it. Okay. All right, here we go. I grew up a skinny kid with a funny last name and Coke bottle glasses, so I experienced my fair share of bullies. But I learned, with the help of humor and resilience, to never give up. I'm going to say Governor. That's a Governor. That's Governor John Hickenlooper of Colorado. Okay. Okay, here we go. There's nothing we can't do if we work hard, never sleep, and shirk all other responsibilities in our lives. <laughs> no idea. Uh, These are very hard. Governor. That's governor. That's governor Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation. Parks Spoiler alert. Okay. She eventually becomes a governor. Okay. It's simple. If it jiggles, it's fat. <laughs> <laughs> Governor. No, that's Governor Are Arnold you... Schwarzenegger. Oh that's Arnold God. Schwarzenegger, who's a go- who's kind of a governor and a governor. Right, we're, right. We're going to give him governor uh, in that way. Governor. Why do we get stuck with old maid and spinster and men get to be bachelors and playboys? Oh, God. I'm going to say governor. That's governor. That's Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City, which okay. is almost a governor, but actually. Oh, right. Oh, no, no, that's, like, that's a, a twist. twist. Okay, a twist. I love that. It means that I must live in obscurity the rest of my days, but I'd rather be plowing in a field than to feel that I have blood on my hands. Oh, that is governor. That's governor, kind of governor. It's kind of both John Slayton from yeah. Parade. We love it. Yeah. Okay. I know that one. Tis one thing to be tempted, another to fall. Mm. I'm going to say... It's one thing to be tempted, another to fall. Governor. Mm, that's governor. That's a- Angelo from Measure for Measure. A, a duke kind of a governor. Um, we're giving okay. you a little uh, Shakespeare there. For reasons passing understanding, people do not relate guns to gun-related crime. Governor. Mm, it's governor. That's our wow. second Aaron Sorkin rec- reference. That's Michael Douglas from An American President. Wow, I'm really sucking on the governor. No, the governor the, ones. The governors. The go- I'm, I'm fooling you sometimes with the governors. All right. It's our time to unleash the power of New York's women. Governor. 
governor. That's Governor Kathy Hochul, who saw okay. you in parade. I know, I know. I met her. So, you know, she came right up to me right after, and she said, "Governor, it's yeah. so lovely to meet you." <laughs> thank you, governor. And I said, "Oh, it's lovely to meet you too." And she said, "Thank you for giving governors a good name." <laughs> <laughs> okay, you have three more. They okay. only get harder. Everyone wants to demagogue everyone else. That may be good politics, but it's awful policy. Governor. That's governor. That's Governor Chris Christie. Um, We must not be misled by left-wing incompetent news media that day after day feed us a diet of fantasy telling us we are bigots, racists, and hate mongers. Yikes. Um, Mm. Governor? That's Governor George Wallace, though it sounds like Tucker Carlson. It sounds like it could be said today, (laughs) though it's 50 years ago. George Wallace. Wow. Okay. All right. You will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We are fighting for our right to live, to exist. Governor. That's governor. That's Bill Pullman from Independence Day. That's okay. All right. Woo-hoo! You've done wonderfully. You've won the game, a nearly impossible game, and you have won with excellent passing marks, Sean. Uh, that was really fun Thanks, for me. Governor. You're welcome, Governor. Um, in wrapping up, I just want to talk a little bit. We've been talking with a lot of our guests about social media and just kind of wh- what is your relationship with social media? How do you consume it? How do you think about what you um, output on social media? What's your relationship? Oh wow, that's such an interesting question. I I mostly use social media. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to give a a, a uh, controversial answer here, but uh, my answer may be a, a tad controversial. I use social media mostly as a promotional tool. I use it for the the business showbiz. Um, I have in the past used it for more personal reasons, and you know, everything that I've gone through and the older I get, the more I kind of realize I don't really want to, I don't really want my personal life nor my personal opinions mm-hmm. on social media. It's just not how I use it. It's just not how I choose to use it. I don't always uh, necessarily think that um, using it to, to share your opinions is necessarily a helpful thing. I don't know how much it changes other people for mm-hmm. the good. Um, and, but. I know that there were people that would wildly disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just not my, that's just not my thing. I, I choose to use it sort of minimally. Occasionally I'm only on Instagram. I am no longer on Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, I just. Um, and is that more because you feel like in contributing to maybe what feels like toxic discourse online? Cause certainly we agree. Most people would agree to, online is not the best place to have like deep, thoughtful, intricate right. political conversations. There is no nuance. There's yes. no nuance. Is it about your contribution to that um, conversation or is it more about like how it personally affects you of like, I go on Facebook and I read stuff and I'm like, I need to not be reading. A little this. bit of both. Yeah. It, it, it does. It does really affect me. Uh, I, I like, as you pointed out earlier, I'm a, a pretty, very empathetic person and, uh-huh. uh, the toxicity that can happen online, it really, really gets under my skin. It really bothers me. And I don't like seeing people act, especially over the course of the pandemic. What I saw mm-hmm. was, was people acting, um, and treating other human beings in such atrocious, dreadful ways uh-huh. that they would never do. If you were looking someone in the uh-huh. eye in the room, uh, uh, you would afford another person, even that you disagreed with, with so much more grace. Uh-huh. And, um, and I just, uh, I, I got tired of, of sort of being witness to that. Uh, 
Yep. Uh, it, it's bad behavior. A, a, yep. Often there's just too much bad behavior. And uh, so I just chose to sort of get out of that room. Totally you know? and, and you see yeah. the reverse too, right? We saw that sort of hypocrisy sometimes of kindness online and hey you posted that black square or whatever and then you say something you go what you're saying that now like it's like the different just the difference of people's public and private personalities sure um, sure shocking um yeah. what do you think you mentioned the uh, sort of pandemic and, and now we're in this post-pandemic world you've obviously you rode that wild ride of jagged through all of it like how do you now feel like the business has changed or what business have we emerged into you know post-pandemic how is it different if it's different than it was in 2019 than it is now Oh God, another really good question. I um uh I think I'm still figuring that out, honestly. I I was in a, a bit of a transition myself, just age wise, mm-hmm. um, kind of sort of geriatric role. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? How very dare you? My God, this man is skin. You did not see the ruddy. I did have skin. someone after parade, you know, because I, you know, I'm all did up. My hair is slicked, and I'm like trying to accent the salt and pepper and. You know, I've got the big, the big voice and the, mm-hmm. you know, and, the, mm-hmm. and I saw someone after the show and they, they said, were you the governor? And I said, yes. And she said, I knew you were young. <laughs> hey, you're like, I didn't know I was hey, young. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, oh my God. Um, but I think, I think we're, you know, I think we're all kind of tentatively creeping back into the world of theater, especially like, is this, is this, is this the same as it was? I don't, there are so many things that I hope aren't the same as they mm-hmm. were. Uh, it's a new landscape uh, with, I hope, a lot more uh, insights and understanding of of what we need to stick with and what we need to change. I want to be, I want to continue to be a part of that in any way that I can, in any way that I can help. And uh, I just, like anything, I just want to keep moving forward and growing and, and progressing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope that theater will will also do the same thing, the arts in general, you know, Um, and, but it, you know, it's, it's tricky as it's tricky as my type, if you will, to find out where do I fit in that? Uh You know, I, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to continue to play, um, you know, sort of a whole middle-aged white guys, the rest Uh of my career. Um, But I understand that, 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 role is important in telling a good story mm-hmm. the villain is always a very important role in telling a story like that uh, and i am i am all for playing a villain i yep. love playing the villain uh and but you know like i said I, I i would have never thought that something like parade would come along and actually afford me the chance of like showing an example yeah. of a guy who looks like me yep. uh and that does the freaking right thing yep you know we talked about some friends who've done to kill a mockingbird of just like what that costs you just like that like we don't always think about that of like it's not easy to walk on stage and go through that from from either side of the experience certainly most people talk about that from the other experience of going through you know if you have to play a slave or you have to play you know go through sure that sort of traumatic experience but also just with the experience of you know walk in and play a racist for a year straight, two years right. straight, and or have to live, say some of those words, even and, just and, living in a racist world, like a highly, yeah. highly charged racist world, which is like me diving into parade. It's just, yep. it's really not. It's hard. I know it's extremely hard on our black company members. It's of course it's hard on on uh, our our Jewish company members uh, to tell this story. But yes, it is also hard for the white company members to e- even realize that you know that 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 existed and still exists is 
is absolutely horrible. And, uh, and, and I feel a great amount of care and, um, uh, trepidation. And I just, all I wanted, I ever want to do is reach out to my black and Jewish friends and in the show and just say, uh -huh. how are you doing this? Yeah. This must be so, so difficult for you to watch over and over and over again. And, 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 um, we talk a lot about it. Of course, we had an amazing sensitivity officer, if you will, mm -hmm. <laughs> and James, and she was, she just helped us through it and was just constantly there to kind of remind us, just don't forget we're all on the same team and we're all telling the same story mm -hmm. so that hopefully nothing like this can ever happen again. Mm -hmm. So true. All right. My last question to you, just if you think about a young 16, 17 year old wants to be, grow up and be Sean Allen Krill, what kind of advice would you give that young artist? What, what kind of stuff would you wish you knew at 17 um, that you know now? Oh gosh. You know, I spent a lot of time in my early career trying to sort of force myself into certain roles. You think that your job as an actor is to sort of be, you know, absolutely uh, just so diverse that you can do anything, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's a wonderful exercise to try to, to, um, to challenge yourself, mm -hmm. uh, to challenge yourself, to challenge your instrument, to challenge your, uh, your soul and, and your breadth of knowledge of what you think you're capable of as an actor and a, a performer. And that's, so I'm not saying that that is not a good thing, but what I, what I would say looking back is that it is just as valuable to focus on what you have that is unique and singular that, and, and, and focus on that, mm -hmm. do what you do. And if it doesn't happen to fit into a show, that doesn't mean it's not good. Mm -hmm. Just do what you do. Really, what you love doing is great. If if and if that is also what you feel like you do well, then keep doing that and mm -hmm. and nurture that and let that grow and become your thing. That is that is absolutely uh, exceptional because that is going to eventually get you work <laughs> there's going to be a moment where you crawl into a hospital bed and you go man this is something that i'm better right. at playing than almost right. anyone else on earth like I've i you know for a experience. while right i spent so much of my my i spent so much of my life as a young actor sort of thinking that i needed to kind of like man up and be more uh -huh. butch so that i would be more like what i looked like uh -huh. i guess uh -huh. what i was being told i looked like and then I realized, like, no, this is this, the, the the duplicity of the of how I read mm -hmm. and what I'm and how I feel is actually, I think, what makes me an interesting, different actor. And I've just finally realized that's 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 my that's my that's the key to yeah, that's to, your superpower. That's what I like to do. Yeah, and I, I love it. Yeah. John, you're amazing. Um, where do people follow you? They they're on Instagram only. It seems like because the only option Facebook yes. is dead for you. So where are they gonna gonna follow you if they want to hear more? At Sean Allen Krill. Oh, easy enough. Sean Allen Krill. S e a n as many A's as you could imagine as being all in A's. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's only an E in Sean. And figure out where to put it. You'll you'll figure it out. I bet yeah. I bet you won't get it wrong if you try. Um, <laughs> um, but that'll be in the show notes, of course, for people to to click on it as well. Sean, thanks for the time today, man. It was such a pleasure. Oh my god, it was so good to talk to you, Charlie. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean. It was certainly a blast for me to do. Uh, he is such a wonderful and big-hearted man. Uh, and I think anybody who knows him and Harry would tell you that this exciting moment of success for both of them just could not happen to a nicer couple. Um, as far as a takeaway, I'm going to keep this one pretty short and just underline some of what we discussed in the episode. Um, we started off strong with our sports analogies in the first couple episodes, but they've since trailed off. So in honor of the NBA playoffs, shout out to Steph Curry, record setting 50 points in game seven against the Kings, shout out. Um, we're going to continue to tease out a little basketball analogy that we started doing. I mean, I think so often acting is compared to tennis. Leo, my partner, will often compare acting to tennis. And I think there are some great comparisons there um, from the idea of the ball of attention, um, how you react to your scene partner, to the psychological elements of what it is to play a solo sport like tennis is very much like the solo pursuit of this career from a business perspective. But when you're on the court itself, I do think acting is even more like a basketball style sport, or if you want to sub in soccer or hockey, any of those kind of team sports where multiple people are moving toward one objective in an organic and improvisatory way. And especially I think shows like musicals or Shakespeare shows, which can tend to be a little hierarchical, those can really mirror sports like basketball when we talk about this conversation of generosity. Basketball is a great example of where you have kind of stars and role players. You, you have a LeBron James and you have a, an Austin Reeves or whatever. You have a Steph Curry and you got a Kevon Looney. Um, if you don't watch basketball, it's mean nothing to you, but basically the idea of you have stars who might be the sort of diva leads and then you have more role players who do a little bit more of the dirty work. When we talk about this conversation of generosity, um, it's sometimes maybe said in, in acting as like serving the story. I think Sean used that as an analogy. But in team sports, we might call this like being a team player. Um, in basketball, this might mean you're setting hard screens and hustling on defense, which might not always show up in the box score, but is really helping your team win. In the theater world, it might be the focused way you give attention during a scene, um, even when you probably could get away with you know, glazing your eyes and just staring off into space, but you're really giving your focus attention and how helpful that is to the, the other people on stage. And to continue to tease this analogy, the opposite of that, an actor upstaging someone or trying to steal a scene that's not written to be theirs, maybe they add in a joke that's not really there, but they can kind of get a laugh out of it. That might be similar to a role player in sports, jacking up a number of difficult shots and trying to be the hero, whether or not they hit. In this episode, you know, I talk about generosity like it's always a positive thing or, or a selfless thing to sacrifice. And I guess I do have some of that value judgment as I think often young actors their instinct is to do the equivalent of shooting as often as possible, as opposed to that hard screen setting and ball moving that is often most needed in the roles that they're going to be playing early in their career. Again, often every career is a little different. But like we said, it is just as important, just as important as setting those hard screens when that's what's needed. It is important to confidently shoot your shot when the time comes. And I think the additional thought I want to throw in there um, is that so much of this can boil down to self-awareness. It is such a key skill for young actors to cultivate, to be aware of yourself. You can't be so self-flagellating and afraid to take up space that other people in the room have to take care of you and build up your ego when it's your time to shine. But you also can't conversely be so full of yourself that you think your diaper doesn't stink. And as you continue to cultivate your taste and awareness of what is happening in each room you walk into, there's something so helpful about checking in with what needs to happen in this moment and how can I support that? This is true on stage with what's happening in the scene and how can you serve the scene, whether that's about generously giving it or, or pushing antagonistically against the other character, whatever that is. 
but it's also pivotal in each room you walk into. What needs to happen right now in this process and how can I support this? If others in the room are voicing a ton of opinions, is another opinion needed or maybe my silence? If there's a lot of negativity happening, how can you introduce something positive into the room? It's not about noting the other people are trying to change what they're doing, but just you yourself rowing in the right direction and doing your part to pull the ship where it needs to go. That kind of thing is always noticed by directors and other actors, and it is very likely to get you invited back into the room with those people again. I'm going to wrap with a, a weird example that I always think of in this conversation about generosity. There's this silly game. You may have heard me talk about it on the podcast before. There's this silly game that actors will sometimes play in acting training where you stand in a circle. Often you close your eyes and you try to count to a number one by one as a group. But if two people speak at the same time, you have to start back at one. So we're counting to 20 or whatever it is. And if somebody speaks at the same time, even if they make any sound, we have to start back at one. When you watch a group of eager young actors play, and I've seen this in many different instances, it is amazing how often they can't make it past 10. When in fact, this game is incredibly easy if everyone is thinking toward the same objective. What does this scene need right now? And almost certainly the answer is me not to talk. It's more silence than I expect is going to be needed. If there are 20 people here in this room, if I'm trying to count every fourth or fifth number, we're almost certainly going to fault, right? If we're all trying to count every fourth or fifth number, this is not going to work out. And if I notice other people counting, let's say more often than one out of every 20, that's all the more need for me to speak less, right? That's what this room needs right now. And if all people in the group thought like that, this would be the easiest game in the world because one person would just count from one to 20 because there's going to be one person who goes, I'll take the stage and everyone goes, I'll give you the stage, right? Or it could be two people rotating going one, two, three, four, five, right? It's only when everybody else goes, but well, no, it's my turn, but I should be getting in here that it actually causes the problem. And of course, the game would lose meaning there because the goal is to get everyone to participate. But I always think it ends up being an illustration of young actors. They always think their contribution is in their voice, but not always recognizing the equal value of their silence and their listening, which generously allows other people's voice into the room as well. Well, that's it. Another great episode of Mapping the College Audition produced by Megan Cordier. Like and subscribe to us, please. Give us five stars in every star-giving medium you can possibly do it as a generous listener that you are. Follow us at Mapping the College Audition on Instagram and me at Charmer7 if you insist. You can also check out MTCA if you or anyone you know wants help with the individual college prep at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, prepare your shout outs now. When you're invited on a podcast 30 years from now, who in your life will you give credit to? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.